0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Suffering with Spurs podcast with me, Sean Torgerman. recording this just an hour or so after the end of a 4-1 home defeat to Chelsea. Um, anyone who watched that game will obviously know that that, doesn't, that scoreline doesn't reflect that game in any way whatsoever. It genuinely is. I'm 37. I watch every single Spurs game, have done. Since I was five or six years old, I watch pretty much all football. I've never seen a game remotely like that. So, obviously, I imagine for the neutral, it was like insane anyway. But like to, to be a fan of one of the clubs, especially the club that sort of set the tone for the game in so many ways, it's just... Like, it can't be compared to any match I've ever seen before. And it's one of those where I've heard Ange speak since, and he's sort of like spoken very much about how he's against VAR in general. And so am I. I I wish we would go back to a time where VAR didn't exist, but... On a night like tonight, it really has sort of like, you'd say from a neutral point of view, they've probably found that it's added to the drama, especially I think if you watch on TV, I think if you're there, then there's a lot of sort of standing around, waiting around for decisions to be made. And that's obviously what he's come to to say. Um, But yeah, the, the VIR would have added to the drama of it all because, I mean, I think five disallowed goals, two for us, three for them. Um, obviously, two red cards. First one from Romero was given because of VAR. The second one was a second yellow for a dodgy. We'll obviously get into those. Um, and then just this really strange second half, which I've just never seen. And I'm so I'm so proud and so happy to have a manager that sticks to his principles so strictly that even with nine men everyone sits on the halfway line but it is genuinely something i've never ever seen before and there's mixed reactions to it from opposition fans and from spurs fans some saying that andrew's naive that it's inexperienced that who does he think he is all that sort of stuff but the fact is that it actually nearly worked and What I've thought about it, and my first reaction to it was I wasn't annoyed with it. I think that's probably because we've got, I think we all have so much trust in him and he's got so much credit in the bank with with fans already that we're willing to just go with whatever he does. But also because in 99.9% of situations, and it doesn't happen that often, obviously, where teams are down to nine men or even 10 men, the default setting for them is to all sort of retreat to the edge of their box and just hit teams on the counter. Um, but our team, especially our team, actually, at the moment, especially once Brendan Johnson had to be taken off um, once Romero got sent off, doesn't actually have a lot of pace in it. So the whole sort of hitting on the break thing wasn't necessarily going to work. We had, we were basically playing with Sonny, who maybe three or four years ago would have been able to just, like, run through through players, but he doesn't have that level of pace anymore. And then Kulicewski isn't particularly fast, um, we had a midfield of sort of basuma and skip uh, Basuma skip and Hoiberg um at, at points benton they're not fast players um has got some pace about him a dodgy was off the pitch by then Dyer obviously not fast van der ven probably our maybe our fastest player off so it wasn't an option i don't think to play sort of on the counter and he wouldn't it looks like he wouldn't have done it anyway but yeah we played with the high line and like I said, it obviously get go through the game in a minute from beginning to end. But just to reflect on that very sort of important point of the fact we did play with 10 men and with nine men with this really high line. Um, it did work because Chelsea, it sort of reduced Chelsea to only playing one way, which was they saw that there was going to be this opportunity to break in behind. So that's all they were going for. And very often they were mistiming it. And obviously there was some unbelievable goalkeeping for Vicario who is, who is genuinely an unbelievable keeper. And he's not just good. He's genuinely incredible. He's incredible. He played as a sweeper. He was obviously asked to, but he played as an actual sweeper sitting sort of midway into his own half, miles out of his box. And he timed his his runs to clear the ball so well on so many occasions. And on the times that he didn't, he made some incredible saves. And yeah, okay, Chelsea broke in, got the 2-1 lead. But we had three genuine opportunities to score, oh, including obviously including that dire, brilliant finish that was marginally offside. We had the Benton core one, which he headed into the ground, which is a, a sitter, which he obviously should score. And then Sonny... I feel like Sonny will be annoyed with himself once he got into that position that he didn't bury it. Mm. So it nearly worked. It's 4-1 in the end, of course, but the two of those goals are like anyone who plays, let's say anyone who plays, it felt like when you play five a side and everyone's really, really tired. And then by the end of it, the team who's a little bit fitter just breaks through and scores. And that's exactly what it was like. By that time, we just missed that chance. The players are obviously exhausted. They played literally the whole second half and... I mean, we're talking about an extra sort of 10 minutes on top as well. So at least sort of, yeah, he got set off in the 55th minute, but we played 45 minutes with nine men. They were knackered, broke through. The scoreline doesn't reflect that game. It wasn't a 4-1 game, even with nine men. Uh, So it's obviously demoralizing and you're gutted because you started to believe. I started to get in my head like, this is going to be unbelievable if we get anything with nine men for a whole half of football like what an unbelievable achievement that would be and it and we came so close and then obviously look it didn't happen in the end but let's go to the game from the beginning and it's just it's just so weird to be talking about this now when after 15 minutes I genuinely sat there and thought I've never seen Spurs play this well before we were unbelievable in every single way the the sort of the accuracy of the passing, but the speed of it as well. In defence, midfield attack, everything was perfectly accurate. There was so much confidence and sort of swagger on the ball. We we're creating chances like at ease. Chelsea were completely rattled. We obviously got that goal early on in the six minute. Kulisevsky, um deflected, went in, but it was coming. You could see it was coming. And at that moment, I thought, oh my God, this is, We're going to, this is brilliant. Like we are, we are going to demolish them. And then everyone celebrated that second goal, which was just a beautiful move. Brennan Johnson, perfect pass. Sonny is literally an inch offside. You can't argue with it. It's an offside at the end of the day. It's an inch offside. We can do what Arsenal do and go on this rampage about how it's a disgrace and put a cub statement out about it. But we know we're not like that. Um, It was offside. It was an inch offside. 2-0, 2-0, should have been brilliant finish from Sonny. And when that happened, I th- when I still thought it was a goal, I thought, oh my God, this is brilliant. Like, we're actually going to demolish them today. And someone's, Eric, my mate Eric, said to me since, like, even though that goal got disallowed, I wasn't even that demoralised because I thought, it doesn't matter, we're going to create another chance in a second. And it's been said, um, and it definitely felt like it, that a dodgy, two-footed challenge for whatever reason and it happens all the time it happens all the time in games when a team's sort of on the ropes and then something sort of just knocks them into gear and it was a dodgy's challenge which in modern day football a lot of people would call for it to be a red card the fact is he didn't make any contact and he won the ball and he, his feet were off the ground and it was they don't like players fans pundits don't like that sort of like full-blooded challenge with 2 feet and i understand it that in in any in 50% of games you get sent off for that but he didn't he got booked and after that it just became a bit chaotic for no reason it didn't it didn't need to chelsea had got a little bit of confidence they obviously got riled up by it a little bit it's almost like they were looking for like a trigger to get themselves into gear because up until that moment they'd been like completely dominated and I hate to say it because it's, we are a different team, but there's times that I've seen that sort of thing happen before with Spurs. And it just, for some reason, it puts the other team into gear. And all of a sudden we've we're riding on the crest of a wave and one little thing can put us on the back foot all of a sudden, and that's what happened. And you could feel it because the defending became chaotic. Chelsea weren't doing anything particularly amazing, but they played the ball into the box and that, bit that led to that Caicedo goal, which obviously got chalked off and led to Romero getting sent off, was just this chaos in the area where everyone, just like headless chickens, were going for the ball. They weren't staying in position. They were all going up for headers unnecessarily. And Caicedo hit a perfectly good shot um, past Vicario, got given obviously offside for Jackson being slightly offside and the ball going through his legs. And then they obviously brought it back VAR to see Romero's challenge. And I mean, that is one of the things about VAR, like it, does you can't get away with anything. And actually, before we go to that, Romero stupidly five minutes earlier kicked out at Colwell. I think it was like so unnecessarily, like, what are you thinking? Like, and in the past, like you'd maybe try and get away with one of them because it's not going to get brought back. But it was identical in the in its petulance to the David Beckham Argentina moment in 1998. Like, and he did it in front of a ref, so he got sent off. There was no VR, VAR in those days, so he got sent off because he did it right in front of the ref like an idiot. But the ref wasn't there for this one, and he didn't see it really. But you know VAR exists. You know if you kick out someone, you're going to get, pulled up on it so what's he thinking and he got away with it and i was shocked he got away with it i couldn't believe that he'd actually got away with it when looking back like he's got away with one so i like obviously big gasp of breath thank fuck he got away with it and he must know he got away with it to an extent unless he's he's in games like this and he he sort of acted like that in the um, I think in the Arsenal away game last season as well. Like he does, he's obviously really, really passionate, and he gets up for these games. And you want that side of him to be there, but the petulant side that comes out is just unforgivable. And he's got, like I said, he's got away with that one. And then two or three minutes later, and I've watched the replay loads of times, and it's weird because it's on Enzo Fernandez, like who's obviously you'd imagine is one of his mates from winning the World Cup. He's won the ball and he knew he was going to win the ball. It was never really there for Fernandez to win. And that's it wasn't one of them where it was like a 50 50 where you both go in and like you, he takes one side of the ball, you take the other. He won. You won the ball. It was there to win easily for him. And he followed through so unnecessarily. And it wasn't even like it was out. It was like outside the box. It was in the area like it's just inexplicable to me. Um, And I see some people like saying, that oh that that's never a red card. He won the ball, or we know in today's world that's a red card. Whether you exist, whether you agree with it or not, like they, it's obviously quite similar to the Curtis Jones one. But this one, let's be honest, is a million times worse because the force he went into it with, and like I said, Fernandez wasn't even really in for the tackle, so it was a stupid thing. And I I think in the grand scheme of things, it cost us the game really, and things just went obviously from bad to worse after that. It, it's just so frustrating. I love Romero. Like, he's such a lovable player when he plays for you. It, you love his passion. You love the his his full-blooded nature, the way he goes into challenges. I remember one, if you remember, two seasons ago when we beat Leicester 3-1 at home, and he ran into a challenge quite similar to that. But he won the ball when he's put, he put his foot down on it, and it led to Sonny scoring a goal. And you love all that from him. But that was just, he knew what he was doing there. Like, but I say he knew what he's doing. He obviously is a hothead. He obviously loses his mind in situations like that. He's so like determined to get the ball that he goes into it with complete full force, but it's out of control. And the fact that his foot came off the ball and then landed pretty much like right in the middle of um, Fernandez's leg says it all, really. So look, he's an idiot. He got himself sent off. He's out for the next three games because of that, which includes City away. Oh, we'll get to all the the absence of players that we're going to have for the next couple of weeks, at least in a minute. But that's shit. That's the shit thing about it as much as anything. Today's obviously gone, done with, but we now don't have him for Wolves, Villa and City, which are all three tough games and we could really do with him. And little did we know that Van der Ven was going to pull up after that. And then, yeah, it did. It just went from... Bad to worse. If you were to, uh, if you would say to me three, the three players you wouldn't want to be without, if out of any players for a game at this moment, with our squad being as sort of thin as it is, it would be the two centre backs and James Madison, because James Madison is the is the sort of instigator to all of our attacks. Um, our and Van Der Ven and Romero have been immense all season, and they're the reason that we can play the high line so effectively is because of their pace and the fact they're our best defenders. So, yeah, Madison goes off. From what I understand, we're not sure yet, obviously. That's not one we have to worry about as much. Um, From the sound of what Ange says, uh, Van de Ven, we all know what a a hamstring injury looks like. We all know what a bad one looks like. It looks fucking bad. I don't want to get, obviously, too down on it, but... I'd rather lose, if, you're off, off, if you if were to offer me, lose Romero or Van der Ven, I'd rather lose Romero. Already, it's incredible to say that, isn't it? But Van der Ven is our best defender. There's no doubt about that. And he's out um, 100% for at least Wolves. And then you'd imagine it'll be longer than that because it, it, didn't, it didn't look like a strain. It, again, I'm speculating here, but the way he pulled up was one of them like potential tear. You don't know, dear. Let's fucking hope not. But it all like, like it's like London buses. It's all just come at once, isn't it? Insane the way that happened. And that's what I mean about the chaotic nature of the game. For it to just fall apart like that, and then Chelsea had another goal disallowed after that. Um, and then I feel like we got kind of hold of the game. It just was. It was so chaotic, but we didn't. We sort of didn't them too many chances after that but then madison obviously gets injured van de ven pulls up with his hamstring at 38 minutes even at 38 minutes i'm thinking we need half time so bad and then for the last sort of I'd say, yeah and then obviously there was 12 minutes of injury time in that first half and we managed to sort of see them out okay and i i was relatively confident that we could come out in that second half and maybe maybe get something I don't know why. That's obviously, it's delusional because we had lost our sort of three best players, but I had a feeling that we'd be okay in that second half because Chelsea weren't doing much to convince me otherwise. Was it naive in that situation for Postacoglu to keep Udodji on the pitch? That is the one criticism I will give him. I think that at that moment is when he should have brought on a defender of some sort. I'm not sure who who would he have brought on at the time. I'm not sure. Obviously, he brought on Emerson Royale in the end. I think Emerson Royale should have come on for a dodgy in, at halftime because we just couldn't. When you're down to 10 men, you can't afford to lose another one because then it really is effectively game over. I don't recollect the team winning a game or drawing a game with nine men when they've had to go that long without them so he probably should have taken him off before because of dodgy and he's look dodgy's shown this season that he can get an early yellow card in a game and keep his composure afterwards he definitely did it against arsenal at the emirates um but it didn't seem like he was it just seems such a full-blooded game and he's young he's really young he wouldn't apply i'd be very surprised if he's played in that sort of into that sort of intensity of game before with that sort of atmosphere. Um, so look, Postacoglu's learning about his team as well. dodge you'll definitely learn from that. having watched the replay, Ado- it's not, I say it's not his fault. His eye was firmly on the ball the entire time for that second yellow. He got, he thought he could win the ball and he, and that's what you could see by the way that he kicked his leg out. He thought he was going to get the ball. Sterling got there before him. There's no arguments. I don't think we can really argue about any of them. If anything, a dodgy, some would say was lucky to be on the pitch already. And that's another thing, like he's already made a stupid challenge. And because of that two footed challenge, any challenge that was even a half yellow from a dodgy was going to be a second yellow. Like Michael Oliver was always going to do that. So yeah, he probably should have taken him off, but he didn't. And then It's just a completely unique situation after that. It's just so weird. Like if you'd said to me during that Liverpool game where we played with, where that Liverpool played with nine in a month, you'll be doing the same against Chelsea. You just wouldn't have believed it. I don't remember. I'm trying to think of the last, yeah, I do. The last time we went down to nine men was Bournemouth away at the end of the 18, 19 season. I know I've got a very good memory for these things. And it was when Sonny and... Juan Foyth got sent off. And I'm pretty sure that was right at the beginning of the second half in that game as well. And we actually held on in that game, didn't we? To uh till the 95th minute or something. And they sc- they scored a 95th minute winner um in the Champions League season, it was, wasn't it? Um we still managed somehow to get fourth that season, but yeah, we have done it before. Um But it's a unique situation. It happens very, very rarely. Aside from that, I can't think of a game where we've played any significant period of time with nine men anyway. And it just, it becomes very, like I said, unique. And it's a, it's, it's obviously everyone then exp- all the pressure then becomes on the team with 11 men to go on and win it as it was with us against liverpool and it's not as easy as it seems we found liverpool with 10 against us did carry on playing kind of the same way but with nine they did all retreat to the edge of their own area and obviously there's periods of the game where we had to do that but we did we played this insanely high line which i've obviously gone over already which i think it's admirable and pod um Ange is very defiant in his in his interview and he was almost sort of offended by the fact of being questioned, why didn't you all retreat to the edge of your box? And uh, going back to it again, like, I think when you retreat to the edge of your box for a whole half with nine men, when there's always going to be players free, you have to keep in mind that 11 against nine, you put balls into the box. Someone's going to have to defend two or three players in that, in that moment. And i think you're asking to concede goals what and why would Ange get his players to play in a way that they're not set up to play he doesn't teach he doesn't instruct his teams to play like that he'd rather they stuck to the game plan which is the high line and it did nearly work and and that's largely down by the way to the unbelievable delivery of pedro porro from the few free kicks we did get because I mean, I watched sort of teams over the weekend. I think Trossard was getting a load of shit from it over the weekend for Newcastle against Arsenal which is this terrible for, uh, corner delivery and set-piece delivery. Porro had three or four and they were all on the money and we nearly scored from all of them. And obviously Chelsea eventually, it was very, this mad situation where they just carried on like it was like a training exercise we had all our players just behind the halfway line and chelsea were trying to time their runs perfectly to get a ball in through the back and they did it a couple of times and it was like i said vicario what can you say about vicario cut it out brilliantly um on three or four different occasions where he was just in a perfect position every time Um, And then the few occasions he didn't, he made some unbelievable saves. I just can't speak highly enough of him. What a keeper. Like, to think that we wanted David Ryer over him, like, it, what a keeper! Thank you, Paratici. Thank you for Postacoglu for speaking to him because I wouldn't change him for any keeper in the world right now for a million reasons. His ability, his confidence, and just the way he is—like he's so grateful. He's done an Instagram post since, sort of thanking the fans. He's never been in the stadium where the fans have cheered so much at the end of a game for a four-one defeat, um, and that has to go. That has to get a mention as well, I think, because I know I've been in the. I've always had a bit of an issue with the fact that. Spurs quite, fans are quite fickle in stadiums. I've been in enough situations before where we've booed the team for sort of being 1-0 down at half-time in games. We've booed the team for losing 2-1, like in games where I've thought we've put in a decent bit of effort. Like, in the past, we and we are known for it, we're very e- we turn very easily um, in the stadium when things haven't gone our way, if we don't think that if we haven't won we're just very very annoyed when we lose at home which is understandable and it i feel sometimes it doesn't reflect very well on us but it's a massive reflection on how much and just changed things in the stadium so so quickly that those the the fans were nearly universally applauding at the end of the game for a game that we lost 4-1. They are acknowledged the unbelievable effort from every single player. And that I want to be known for that personally. I want our team and our club and our fans. And I want the players to see our fan base like that. It's been toxic in that stadium on plenty of occasions in the past. Um for, for very good reason on a lot of occasions. I'm thinking the sort of the Nuno's last game where we lost 3-0. Harry Kane getting booed in that game because obviously he tried to leave in the summer like a few, quite a few games last season. Obviously, for again for obvious reasons. But when we see and when you can see that the players have put in this unbelievable effort and that they're all buying into it, and no one's left any sort of inch of effort inside them, they've put it all out on the pitch. Especially Pedro Porro, by the way, who's just I love as a character. Um, especially Vicario, all of them, of course. Eric Dyer, special mention as well. Wouldn't have been easy for him. He hasn't played a minute of football for Spurs this season. And he came on and he's limited in terms of his pace. We all know that, but I don't think he really put a foot wrong. And he scored what would have been just an unbelievable moment. It's just... Oh, it's just so unfair, isn't it? It it, it looked at first like he was actually a little bit off, quite a bit offside. But when you look at it again, he was, again, a millimetre off. And his finish was just, he's always had great technique, Eric Dyer. And it's kind of been forgotten because he's been chastised a little bit in the last year for the way that things have gone from him. Again, understandably understandably for, for his poor defending and stuff, but he's got great technique. What a moment that would have been if that had been allowed to stand. Uh, just just after Chelsea went 2-1 up as well. But things just didn't go our way in that sense. Uh, that was from a brilliant Poro cross, a great header on from Bentoncourt. Wonderful finish. Uh, Bentoncourt then had an opportunity after that to, to head it in, as I've said, and that would have, again, made it 2 all. And then just before Chelsea's third goal, good pass from Oliver Skip, who who I wasn't, I thought at that moment, maybe when Oliver Skip came on, I thought maybe put LaSalle so on, just as he's got, if we're going to play this way and if we're going to go for a for getting an equaliser rather than just damage control and sitting back, why not put someone with a bit more of a creative edge on them? And that's another, again, we're not in, Andrew just doesn't go without criticism. Like I really do admire the way that he approached playing with nine men. But then I think if you're going to do that, then why not play? Why not bring Brian Hill on? And why not bring um LaCelso on instead of skip? Um, why? I was quite surprised he took Kulisevsky off because he took Sun off against uh, Luton when we played with 10 men um, instead. And at first, when he made that decision, I was a little bit oh, but Suns are out ball. But Kulisevsky proved himself to be so, so good. At holding the ball up. And I thought he actually, I was a little bit surprised he took Kulisevsky off instead of Son. Um, whether Kulisewski is so important to him that he was worried he might lose him as well, I don't know. But he chose to to take off uh, Kulisevsky and he chose to bring on Skip instead of bringing on the Celso But as I was saying, Skip did play the ball through to Sonny, 94th minute. He took on two defenders And I really thought that was the moment and it wasn't, I think that was, I think everyone accepted that was our chance. And then I think it was, we got caught after that. They went and scored two goals. Nicholas Jackson, completely undeserving. He was acting like a proper prick during the game as well. Obviously Chelsea had three goals disallowed. Every single one of them, he was like going up to the fans, doing the shush thing, telling them to shut up. I was, I wanted to kill him at the time, to be honest, Um, now that now that the sort of emotions calmed down a little bit, I've relaxed. But yeah, uh, he didn't deserve that. He didn't play well. It was by the time he got through to the to scoring those goals. It was obviously it was obviously easy for him because we were completely knackered by that moment. But he did, and like I said, four one isn't a good reflection of the game. I don't think Chelsea were brilliant. I don't. I think we were brilliant considering that we had nine men, but we were let down by Romero and we were let down by Dodgy. As I said, Dodgy is young, inexperienced, first year in England. He gets a pass for that reason, I think. Like anyone's capable of making two yellow card challenges and he's you, that's how players learn. He's going to be rash, all that sort of stuff. Romero is a World Cup winner. He's one of the captains. He's experienced. It's his third year in the Premier League he knows how it works he knows what's acceptable and it's just pure petulance and i'm annoyed at him and i think his teammates should be annoyed at him and i think angel Andrew, obviously angel's going to be one way to the media i think he's going to say he's got to say something to him about that because even if you even if you go with the first, with the second challenge being Oh, he won the ball and it was a little bit forceful. Okay, let's forget that. The first challenge is completely unacceptable because it's off the ball and he's kicked him. He's kicked out of him. And anyone who plays football, anybody who watches football knows that I'd say nine times out of 10, you're getting a red for that. And it's weird to think, like you'd say that football's softer now than it was in 98 with with David Beckham because that's what it reminds me of. Um, And he got... Um, Beckham got sent off for that and Romero didn't. I'm not, but then he, and then again, to go and get yourself sent off two or three minutes later, insane. You think of Sonny's red card against Chelsea um, in 1920 as well, where he sort of kicked upwards towards Rudiger. You'd say that wasn't as bad as what Romero did. But anyway, enough about Romero because I do still love him, but it's just, it's just so frustrating when you see a player do that. Um, in a game that we had, in that moment, it was out of control. But again, we were winning. We were 1-0 up. Like, the, that that moment could have calmed down. We could have continued to play well after that. It was just there for the taking. And that first 15, 20 minutes, I just, it, it seems like so long ago because of what happened in the game. But it was just so good. And that's the thing to be positive and proud about look at the football we're playing like when we're on when we're sort of in full flow we are unbelievable to watch and i don't mean oh we're good to watch that that first 15 20 minutes the football in all areas of the pitch was just so so good so there's so much to be positive about and i've never felt so good after a full one defeat to be fair because we it's off look it's the first league defeat for six months we haven't lost we haven't known the feeling of losing um since the Brentford home game at the end of last season. Um, so it's been a lovely ride and there was always going to be a bump in the road. We love to sort of get in our head that this unbeaten run was going to go on forever. And I did think we, we had a good chance of winning today and that was going to keep the momentum going. But there are going to be bumps in the road. You're not going to win every game. Um, and it's shit that it was against Pochettino and Chelsea. I haven't even mentioned Pochettino yet. It was shit that it was pochettino and chelsea but i also as well as being confident about winning i always i did have a little feeling that it would be them that derailed it because it was just too good it would have just been too good to be true wouldn't it um pochettino i don't think he i don't think he's sort of i don't think chelsea fans are enamored with him because his press conferences lead not to the game he was being unbelievably sort of sentimental about Spurs. And you know he's obviously got a place, The Spurs have got a place in his heart, but you thought he would have tempered it, sort of to get the Chelsea fans on side, who he even admitted he doesn't have the connection with them yet. So you're not going to get a connection with them if you keep saying how much you love Spurs, because the Spurs-Chelsea rivalry is mainly driven by that side. But um, he turned up, from what I understand, he got a sort of a clap at when he first came into the stadium but the the fans that sit down at with an hour and a half to go before the game starts are not the fans who you can really judge because they're the ones who want to, want photos taken with opposition players and ask for they're the ones who ask Chelsea fans for their autographs so that's not a, a good example it's mainly tourists um how do you boo a manager really other than I saw what the ball came to, the ball came to him on the sideline and he touched it and he got a little boo there But I'm glad it's out the way now, really. Like, Potts should always have a special place in my heart, as he will most Spurs fans. I don't think he should have gone to Chelsea, as I've said, but he did. Um, I was hoping he'd get sacked quite soon so we could go back to being all sentimental about him. But he got a win. I'm sure he'll be happy about it. He's very gracious in it. In his interview, he didn't didn't say how it meant more because it was against Spurs. If anything, he he seemed a little bit disappointed it was against Spurs. Um, But yeah. It's gone now, it's been and gone. Uh, I feel closer to this team and Ange, mate, I I don't know if I can say this, but I really do, maybe because we were so disconnected to the team for three or four years after Poch that it feels like this. But I've never been more on board with the Spurs team, the way they play and the way things are going than with this Ange team. And that's mad to say because the the Poch era was the first ever era in my lifetime where Spurs really were a, a force in the Premier League, where we were challenging for the title, where we did finish sort of second, third, fourth regularly. Um, But and it's obviously hard to remember how you felt when that first started to happen. Um, But I feel a lot more connected to this team. I'm fully on board with everything they're doing. And as we keep going back to the way that Ange approached this game, it's got criticism from some sort of quarters and it's got a lot of praise. I feel sometimes like they treat him as a bit of a gimmick, and I don't think he really likes it. They like laugh at Gary Neville was laughing through commentary for quite for periods of the game, which which really annoyed me. Um, almost like mocking what was going on. But as I said, the result ended 4-1, but two of those goals were scored at the end of injury time. It was 2-1. And if we'd taken our chances, it could have won, it could have worked out, it would have been a masterclass. And I think. Other, Jamie Carragher's given it a lot more credit and I think it deserves the credit because it takes a lot to go out on a limb and go and do something like that. And, and it's so easy to retreat to, de- to the default setting teams go to in when they're in situations where they've got less players and put everyone at the edge of the box. He doesn't believe in that. He doesn't want to. He wants to still try and get a result because what most teams are doing really when they go and sit back is Damage limitation, oh, we don't want to get thrashed. We saw with Conte. With Conte, if you got went down to ten men, it was bring all your defenders on and hope you don't get thrashed. And what a difference in mentality. And I'm thinking the Arsenal game at the Emirates last season, where when Emerson Royale got sent off with sort of 25, 30 minutes to go, and I was, and it was two, it was two one at the time, and I was still thinking we can really still go for this. And Conte was like, Nah, everyone off. I'm bringing all my defenders on. His bench was pretty much all defenders. Brought them on, sat back, saw the game out, didn't try and attack. I'm, as a fan, forget what anyone else says, as a fan of my club, I want to see them try and get something out of the game. And if that's the way we're going to do it, then brilliant. Hopefully, we don't have to face too many more situations where we go down to 10 or 9 men. We've obviously had like two out of the last, is it two out of the last three games? Two out of the last four games, Luton and this game, we've done it. We won one. Obviously, Luton's very different. And we did ourselves proud in this game. Um, but there is a big change in the situation as a result of this game. The The aftermath of it is not that we lost 4-1 at home to Chelsea in a game that we were very courageous in. It is that we have got unbelievable issues now going into that Wolves game. Um, Saturday, we're well, the first game of the weekend, which definitely doesn't help. Romero is obviously definitely out, Um, Van de Ven, 99.9% going to be out, unless that was something, unless he makes a miraculous recovery, we can assume that he's out as well. Madison came off injured, like I said, we don't know the extent of that, but you'd say he's 50-50 at very best, wouldn't you, if he's had to come off. Um, Madison's not replaceable, of course, but we've got other attacking options, so the attacking side of the game isn't going to be the issue. The issue very, very much is that our two best defenders are probably not going to be there. Sorry, a dodgy as well. Didn't even remember him. A dodgy as well. So three of our back four is almost definitely going to have to be changed for this Wolves game. Um, Emerson will obviously play, you'd imagine, on the on the, on the the left because uh, Ben Davis is injured anyway, so he wouldn't even be an option. And then you've got... Um, Dyer, who would definitely play because he's our only other sort of senior centre back, and then you'd imagine that it would be Ashley Phillips who hasn't played a minute yet, or did he? I'm not sure if he's come on for a minute. It, regardless, he hasn't played a minute. You would imagine that that would be what happened. Um, he's been on the bench at the beginning of the season, uh, which means that Ange obviously has faith that he's capable of coming off the bench if need be. Um, it'll be interesting to see, but. We have no idea what's going to happen, really, do we? I would say that I actually got quite a lot of confidence from. I, I was convinced that Eric Dyer wasn't able to play in that high line, but he not only did he do it, he did it with ten and nine men. So full credit to Eric Dyer. Um, I've always I've always loved Eric Dyer. Like I think it get people have very short memories, and I think it gets forgotten a lot that he was a, he was let's start with the fact that he scored in his debut for Spurs away at West Ham immediately became a fan favorite he was a utility player back then in potcher for the vast majority of Poch's time in charge he was always in the team in one position or another um defensive midfield he then obviously he was great he was brilliant in defensive midfield in the 15 16 season he obviously under Mourinho, decided he was going to be a center back and he's had periods where he's been amazing at it and periods where he's looked terrible. Um, but one thing he is, is fully Spurs. And I always remember him for the way that he sort of came out in an interview, he was like, oh, people talk shit about Spurs and we don't like it. Who's, who else has ever said that in an interview? Like any no, Harry Kane and all the time he did it, said it, never said it. Sonny's never said it. None of the no Spurs player I can think of has said it. So he's always been like a really like, he's really been i've really held him in high regard ever since then and i think a lot of fans have you get a lot of twitter idiots talking shit about him and get out of my club those aren't real fans for me eric dyer has been a brilliant servant at this club and it, for, that's why it made me so happy to see him score what we what thought was an equalizing goal um with such brilliant technique as well but he also held his own, own defensively made some great sliding challenges and I'm happy for him. Happy, look, obviously we want the best defenders playing, and he isn't one of them. But I think he'll rise to the challenge. I bet he's been. I bet he's been dying for this opportunity. And I'm. I don't think we have to, too much to worry about with Eric Dyer there. I really don't. He might look. He may get caught out. And he look. They're always the way we play. They're always going to get caught out. The only difference is that Van der Ven can can make up for it in his pace. Eric Dyer probably isn't. But he's, he's smart enough to know, to know what his limitations are at Dyer. So I'm not massively worried about that. Ashley Phillips is a complete unknown, unknown entity. Who knows? But aside from that, the rest of our team is still more than capable of going to Wolves and getting a result. Um, And I think they will be, yeah, I think they will be buoyed by this. I know it sounds mental. I know it sounds mental and people might think I'm mad, but I know we lost 4-1, but the, performance and the effort they put in and I really mean this, the fans and the way that the fans reacted and the fact the fans were with them throughout the whole game and at the end will have them walking off the pitch feeling sort of buoyed by what's happened. Like I said, like you're going to go through a bump in the road and just said, like, this is all great now, but like we are going to have some bumps. We are still a new team. And the fact of the matter is after 11 games, And it it does, it works out well that Arsenal and Liverpool didn't get results this weekend. After 11 games, we are one point behind Man City in the league. (laughs) I mean, what can you say about that? That's That's an unbelievable achievement. If you'd said after 11 games, we would be one point behind Man City in the league, people wouldn't have believed it. And that's where we are. And we've got Wolves on Saturday. Wolves just lost to Sheffield United, keep in mind. Um... They beat City as well, so they're a perfectly good team and we lost there last season, but we're capable of going there and getting a result. And if we do, we go back to the top. City have got Chelsea at the weekend, so there's no guarantee that they're going to win that. Although, like I said, I haven't really been impressed by Chelsea, but if we, if we go into the international break, second in the league, a point behind City, then you take that all day long, I think. Um, it's been nice being at the top. Um, we're not there anymore, and that's something that we have to deal with, but in general, the, the club is going in the right direction. Some strong words to be had by Postacoglu by Coglu with uh, Romero, definitely. And hopefully, I think it's a little bit different when he's made mistakes with Conte and other, well, he, it's been widely broadcast that he didn't like Conte, he didn't like the way the team was playing. And his petulance there was sort of as a result of him being frustrated with the team he was playing in as much as anything. I feel like he'll feel he let this team down today with what he did. And he loves this team. And you can tell he really loves being part of it. So I think he will learn from this. You don't want to change the way he plays because his full-blooded nature is what makes him the defender that he is. But what he did today was unnecessary. It was stupid. And you do hope that he learns from it. And you hope the poster Coglu... Tells him because look, like I said, it's not just this game. We now have to go three games, especially the City game, without one of our best defenders. Um, Mental game, absolutely mental game. But things are still positive, and I'm fully behind what Andrew's trying to do. And it's a bump in the road, but we can definitely, definitely recover from it. What a night. Um, I'm out of breath. I've got still this massive adrenaline rush from that absolutely insane game. Spurs are going in the right direction. Wolves on Saturday, 12.30. I'll be there. Looking forward to it. Hopefully we bounce back from this and go back top of the table, even if it is temporarily. Thank you very much for listening. Come on you Spurs.